0: What the hell is that? Man, they're a crazy fruit. Um, Oh, it's a fruit? It's a fruit.
1: (laughs) Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. So in the first episode of season three, we had the interview with the technologist Eric Liu, which was recorded in the JustPod studio. Then last week was the comic book store owner Ashley Huang, which was recorded on the road in a hotel room in Chengdu. And for contrast, today's episode was recorded in my apartment in Shanghai, which usually happens when we can't align the schedule of the guest with the availability of the studio. What also usually happens in these circumstances is that we have some fun background noise issues, thanks to the general goings on in the lane where I live. So today's symphonic accompaniment is a Circular Saw concerto in the key of Beed's Way. Luckily, these background noises didn't faze my guest, Fergus Woodward, one of the founders of Peddler's Gin, who you'll find has a super low-key conversation style. Fergus is also a Kiwi and I don't really notice his accent but I spent a long time fixing the transcript for today's episode, which was initially generated by an AI program that has no concept of the New Zealand accent. So this experience alone reminds me to point non-native speakers to the Mosaic of China website to follow the transcript, in case you're confused about pen versus pin, set versus sit, and jen versus jin i'm very sorry to that poor girl jen i needed to totally eradicate her from the transcript of today's episode just to balance things out a quick word for non-chinese speakers at one point in today's interview we talk about developing guanxi that's the process of building relationships particularly when it comes to business connections and we also mention Joe Which is the classic white liquor spirit that is drunk in China. All right, we've downed the aperitif. Let's get on with today's show. Hello, Fergus. Hey, Oscar. Good to have you here. I'm already tuning into your energy, which is very chill, which I appreciate. Before we start, tell me briefly what do you do in China.
0: uh so i started a company called peddlers gin and now i sell gin around china and also around the asia pacific okay and
1: before we go into that story what is the object that you've brought that in some way typifies your life in china
0: so a little pin from the drinks awards oh i see so this is the annual drink awards for like the F&B community usually it's asia but over the last two years it's been china Uh, organized by Drinks Magazine and Thirsty Works Production, which is headed up by a lovely chap called Theo. It's sort of an annual celebration of all things F&B in China. And F&B has been such like a really big part of my life here in China, obviously with my company. And then, you know, like the community is great. And you've been lucky enough to win a few things at that, which is great. Most of the awards are for bars. So sort of like best bar, best bartender. I think it's a really nice way of celebrating the community. Whether or not you agree with like, where the awards goes is always like a different discussion, but I think just having an event is really important, so I think that they do a really good job.
1: And the pin itself, is that a stylized bunch of grapes? Is that what they're going for?
0: <laughs> it's a stylized cocktail shaker. Oh,
1: no, I see it now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a badge that you wear on, for example, your apron i see for example like if you went to a bar often a bar will have pins and they'll give them to guest bartenders who come and it's just a way of reflecting your involvement
1: okay is this actually a thing then should i now start to keep my eyes open and look out for people wearing pins in bars
0: (laughs) well i think if you look at the bartender there's a high chance that they'll be wearing a pin is that right yeah
1: okay and this is a china thing or this is an international thing
0: I'm not actually sure. It's certainly something in China and the China and Asia bartending community is really tight, which I really admire. It is a community. A lot of people, you know, know each other. There's a lot of travel in between cities. Overseas, it's probably to a lesser extent. Right.
1: I'm quite glad you answered in that way where you said, I'm not quite sure what happens outside of this region, because what you're saying to me is that basically this is a Chinese brand. Yeah, But why don't we start just with the basics about how you started the company in Shanghai.
0: What was that story? Uh, I've been in China for about seven years. Uh, And the first part of that was at Fudan University. And I was doing like a master's degree in business management. I really enjoy trying new things. And to me, Shanghai was sort of part of that.
1: When I think about Kiwis... They're
0: always bungee jumping or mountain biking or... <laughs> Heaps of bungee jumping. I'll still just <laughs> bungee jump <laughs> any, any in chance fact, we get. <laughs> your hair
2: is
1: tussled. I'm sure you just came from a bungee right
0: now. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of bungee jumping. Uh, I th- There is quite a lot in New Zealand of outdoor activities. So there's a lot of hunting, surfing, snowboarding, skiing. There is a lot of that. I think it gets amplified because that's also our tourism industry. Ah, right. So, like, when people are telling stories overseas about what New Zealand is, it's it's very, like, meshed with our tourism pitch. So I've
1: just bought into the PR.
0: Yeah, that's all right, though. It's better than Lord of the Rings.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's not even dwell on that one second longer. Let's move on. So you were here, you were studying, you were checking out the F&B scene.
0: Yeah, and there were amazing craft beers being made in in China and in Shanghai. Also at the same time, there's like amazing ingredients and cuisine from all around China.
1: When it comes to craft beer, that's the connection between the person who referred you to the podcast from last season. Uh, Yeah, Sean. Sean Harmon. So why don't I play to you what Sean said
2: about you? But I think a really cool story is uh, the story of Peddler's Gin Company. A friend of mine is a co-founder there, Fergus. They're creating something I think is really impressive. It's, it's a great quality product. Um, it would be a cool story, I think, for everyone to learn. I think I met Sean through a mutual friend,
0: like on the rooftop of a Mexican bar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you suddenly went very hazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a balcony somewhere in Jing'an, I'm pretty sure. Drinking margaritas.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you were saying craft beers. Was that the main out-of-the-box drink option in China at that point?
0: Yeah, it was, which was actually really interesting because there was no craft premium Chinese-made spirit. And to me, it sort of felt natural that there should be. And gin was really cool because as a spirit, it gives you an opportunity to use a lot of different ingredients. Juniper is your main ingredient for gin. But you can also include any number of other ingredients so as a medium for reflecting your origin story i meant we could use sichuan pepper i meant we could use buddha's hand and and lotus and things like that
1: okay well why don't we in that case talk about how you make gin because yeah sure i understand that gin you use a still it's a distilling process rather than a brewing process Yep. I know that these are words, but I don't quite know <laughs> what they <laughs> mean. <laughs> like, what is the process of making gin?
0: The place where gin would start would be sort of like a beer, basically. You find something and you ferment it. So it would be like corn or barley or wheat. You oh, can,
1: actually, you can have different bases for gin. Yeah, you? you
0: can have like a different base spirit. And oh, right. So you would ferment that with sugar and yeast. And that picks up an alcohol content level. Uh, and then you take all of that and then you put it into a column still and you distill that many, many times and you just heat it up and the alcohol boils before the water. You keep it in a tank, you discard the water uh, and then you put that alcohol back into the still and you would redistill it. I see. And in that way, you increase the alcohol content to ideally 90 to 95% pure alcohol. Right. You need to do that, like, a number of times. And it also strips the undesirable sort of elements of alcohol, including the real bad stuff like methanol. It's an alcoholic compound that forms at the same time when you ferment something. But that's the one that makes you go blind.
1: Oh, (laughs) not ideal.
0: No, no. So if you read about people doing moonshine or something like that, then that's what it is. It means that they have fermented something and they haven't done it in a way where they've taken the methanol off. Right.
1: This is now making me a bit scared when you're starting up your own brand, right? (laughs) I'm just imagining you in a shed doing it and like, has it got methanol? Let me just taste it. Uh, Yeah, a bit too much methanol on that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, there's ways that uh, you can make it very safe.
1: Presumably you can measure it, like there are gauges or...
0: Yeah, as long as you understand what you're doing, there's no problem getting rid of it. Okay. So now we've just got pure ethanol. At that point, you select your ingredients. You would put them all together into a tank, including juniper and sort of the earthier ingredients like licorice, um, angelica, cinnamon, and then you would distill it again. And then that comes out basically tasting of gin. The second time around, we vapor infuse, which means that we've got what's called a gin basket.
1: Oh, I've seen them, yeah. Uh,
0: and into it's that- like
1: a tea bag in a teapot.
0: Yeah, but it's not in the liquid, it's above it. Oh, I see. So it sort of catches all the steam that comes off. Uh, And into that we put Buddha's hand, East Asian mint, and Sichuan pepper is definitely like a hero ingredient. The reason for that is, this took so much trial and error to figure this out, (laughs) (laughs) is that those ingredients like a little bit lighter. And so if you put them into the pot, then they degrade really rapidly. And, you know, the end life cycle of a mint after it's been boiled in alcohol for eight hours, you know, it's not tasting any good at the end of that. Right. So that process picks up some slightly more delicate flavors. And then you would cut that with water because it's come out at a very high percentage ABV to, you know, anywhere between 38 to 50 percent wherever you want it. And that's gin, yeah.
1: You mentioned the phrase hero ingredient and that was in the context of Sichuan pepper. What do you mean by hero ingredient?
0: We sort of mean ingredients that we really like the taste profile of. We think they have a super cool story and we wanted to include in the gin because being able to reflect some of the flavors and botanicals of China was one of the reasons why we started the company. Uh, And so Sichuan pepper is one of those. And the other one I mentioned was Buddha's Hand, which is <laughs> what the hell is that a man? They're a crazy fruit. Um, oh, it's a fruit. It's a fruit. Yeah. Okay. It's a citrus fruit. We sourced from Yunnan and it is super ugly. <laughs> it, and the reason it's called a Buddha's hand is because it kind of looks like somebody's like fingers all pressed together.
1: What's the Chinese for it? You know, false shot. Also, it's yeah. literally a translation of the Chinese. Yeah. Is this well known? I've lived in China now for eight years. I don't think I've heard of it before.
0: It's not. No, it's really uncommon fruit. And that's because it's got no pulp. It's all like rind.
1: Oh God. (laughs) Yeah. Which is
0: super weird. And so like generally you would have zero use for it.
1: In China, is it used for anything? Do people know? It's
0: used for teas. Okay. uh, And like TCM.
1: Traditional Chinese medicine.
0: Yeah. But it's, it's really, really aromatic. So it smells amazing. It smells like a cross between sort of like a lime and a rose it's beautiful
1: is it all over Yunnan, or is it in a certain part
0: uh it's pretty widespread yeah but it's not very common at all overseas no it hadn't been exported from china until you know the early 2000s
1: isn't it funny it it reminds me of the craze for goji berries at one point Uh, yeah yeah right and suddenly everyone knows about goji berries whereas before it was really just in this one small part of china that they knew about it I, i wonder if Buddha's hand is going to have a similar kind of discovery in Renaissance.
0: <laughs> yeah, finding ways to use it is more complicated than with like a typical citrus fruit. Yes. But it's actually perfect for gin because the peel is the most useful part for distilling because it, you know, it holds its texture better when it's exposed to, you know, high heat and alcohol. So it gives off flavor for longer and doesn't really turn to a mush as quickly. Okay. So it's perfect for gin.
1: How did you even find out about this as a flavor, as a fruit, when you were thinking about what ingredients, like where did this come from?
0: The inspiration for that, I mean, we spent a really long time on recipe development and there was a lot of travel around China to sort of find them.
1: I'm going to interrupt you there because all the while you've been saying we, so who is
0: we? Uh, Yeah, so when we first kicked off, it was sort of me and a couple of friends. All Kiwis? uh at the start kiwis but we very quickly expanded to include local chinese
1: and your role in that group was what exactly
0: well at the start there was not really a whole lot of differentiation (laughs) because everybody did everything yes now i'm more on operational side
1: oh i see okay well back then then when you were working out the flavors
0: yeah we spent a lot of time traveling on long distance trains <laughs> yeah, rem- i'm assuming not business class uh no no i was like <laughs> so poor it was like the cheapest slow trains that oh. we could find <laughs>
1: <laughs> but at this point you weren't sourcing you were just experimenting with flavors you would just go to a farm and say can i taste something or what <laughs>
0: Yeah, and you would taste something and then, you know, you'd potentially think that it was a nice ingredient, but the supplier that you got it from, the level of quality wasn't good enough.
1: Oh, so you were going to individual suppliers themselves. It wasn't just going to local markets and and seeing what flavors you could find.
0: There was a bit of both.
1: Oh, okay. Well, give me an example then. So how would you find a supplier for, let's say, Sichuan pepper?
0: So Sichuan pepper was a really fun one, actually. We've got a really good relationship with several farms in Sichuan. A place called Hanyuan County. There's a lot of pepper farms around there and they're beautiful and harvest is around August. Historically it has been very famous for producing very high quality Sichuan pepper. A really nice Sichuan pepper is you know pretty light citrusy and that's not the case with all Sichuan pepper Uh so (laughs) we got pretty dialed in on Sichuan peppers. I've spent a lot of time in like random warehouses in the middle of nowhere with a numb tongue Just the the sort of persistence in really getting to that final farm was really just following up leads that you thought would be totally useless or randomly talking with somebody at a bar. Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, that actually makes sense because you go out, you talk to somebody in a bar, they recommend someone, they know someone. Yeah. That's the way you develop Guanxi, after all, not by cold calling and sending messages. I mean, that's how I imagine it would have had to have worked.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of that meeting people and asking who they knew and oh, someone has a cousin who knows someone in that area and they ignore you, but maybe somebody else doesn't. Right. I'm assuming that they
1: wouldn't really have a clue what gin was at that point.
0: No, no, not at all. And, and even now, maybe some don't. We've, with our Sichuan pepper farmer, he has tried the product, but he still has no idea what gin is.
1: Well... What is the market for gin in China? We heard last season Sean Harmon's story. Like, there is an understanding about what beer is. And then from his side, he needs to educate the market about what a craft beer is and why that's a premium product versus what they can get in a
0: Snow brand beer. When it comes to gin,
1: what is the process of
0: education in the market? Gin, I mean, it's similar to beer, but it started from like a much smaller base. Mm. In tier one cities for a long time, gin has been around but a very small part of what a chinese consumer would be drinking on a weekly basis is like very very small 98 percent of all spirits sold in china is baijiu.
1: right 98 uh, yeah
0: so that is sort of a reflection of where gin would sit
1: yeah so you have to share the remaining two percent with everything else
0: uh, yeah whiskey and cognac are both really big categories. Vodka would probably be next, (laughs) and then possibly gin. Woohoo! Yeah, we might've made it onto that. I think the trend in China has been people are drinking Baijiu less. It's not a drink which is like as appealing to younger consumers. I see. All of the other spirits have been growing. And a lot of that has been, and this is what has been interesting over say the last five years, is the growth of cocktail culture in China. And I think that's awesome because there are some amazing bars in Shanghai um, and in the rest of China. People doing some really interesting things and and on a super premium level. I guess because
1: cocktails themselves are becoming more popular, then there's just a wave in which gin is included.
0: There is an education component with gin. That's a really big job.
1: Why gin then? You know, why not a vodka? Why not? diversify and do both like what was your thinking at that point
0: with vodka you're basically restricted to you know whatever your base spirit is but you can't really include other ingredients Mm -hmm. in it um whereas gin you you can i mean i love it i love being able to go around to these different places and have connections with pepper farmers in sichuan and these citrus farmers in Yunnan and you know play around with some pineapples every now and then (laughs) (laughs) just like the way you said that Basically, what you're saying is you
1: love gin, <laughs> It's simple as that, isn't it? Talk me through how you go from nothing to becoming a small scale distiller
0: yeah well it's a it's a real story of I think persistence
1: is this good or stupid persistence <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean depending on the results that's when you look look back on it and you just make that call yeah. Um, I mean, really, it just started with a garage in Pudong that we could go and try out some recipes in. Oh, classic. A yeah. garage. A garage. Yeah. Sounds like
1: Hewlett-Packard already. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And we did that for ages. I would go out there, experiment with recipes, with the ingredients that we'd sourced, you know, get up at 6.30 in the morning, get out there and come back at nighttime. And yeah, sort of eventually we found a recipe that we liked and started going around to different bartenders in Shanghai and sort of forcing them to like taste the product.
1: Oh my word. And
0: bless them. It's an amazing community. So thank you for everybody who did that. Uh, And so getting sort of like, we, we spent a lot of time getting feedback from all of the bartenders. But it was pretty organic, the evolution of peddlers in terms of like going from recipe development, hustling around bars, getting product feedback. And then when we were finally in a position to like sell product, it felt like an environment where you could get out and do that and it would be something which people were like quite excited about for a long time we would be like hand delivering all of the gin so it would be a matter of like loading up the scooter with as many boxes of gin as you could get my record was like nine boxes of gin on the scooter so i was just thinking about it before it was like three in the footwell and then like another three on top of those and then you would stack in a row going forward another three This is boxes. Boxes, yeah, yeah. Which
1: means how many bottles? Uh, Six per box, so... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Funny, because until now, we haven't talked about the name of your gin, but this makes me think about the name Peddlers, (laughs) going from bar to bar, selling gin. It's not just by chance that you've called it Peddlers. This must be part of your thinking behind the brand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, literally just peddling gin around Shanghai.
2: (laughs) um,
0: There's obviously, like, a lot of hustle in the name there but I also feel like it's really true for Shanghai in general. It's always been like a very commercial city, like a trading hub. That sort of, to us, really captured the idea of the hustle and the bustle and people selling things from all over the world in Shanghai and certainly driving around on motorbikes. Overloaded with gin also felt like it was part of that.
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I always like the startup stories, but let's fast forward to today then. So what is the process now? I'm guessing you're still not going bar to bar or is that still part of the way that you sell your gin?
0: Uh, I think that's always gonna be part of like the alcohol industry. So been really fortunate to get like a really great team. So we have more people who can help out, including people who would be visiting bars quite a lot. Shanghai was where we started, but since then we've grown throughout China. So, you know, we've got staff in Beijing and in Shenzhen. Distributors in general um, throughout China have been fundamental in scaling.
1: What is it now that takes up most of your brain space?
0: Right now. So over the past sort of 18 months, we have expanded a lot throughout China. And we've also scaled overseas when we first applied for our export license, they didn't have a category for gin exports. Ah. So we had to sort of create one.
1: (laughs) Nice. Well, thank you so much, Fergus. I mean, what you do is, you know, under the radar for someone who is a consumer like me. So you've been very patient as I've asked you like very basic questions about how you distill gin. But the story is a great one. You know, we've been in Shanghai for a similar length of time and I've seen your product grow and i've always enjoyed it and so i'm looking forward now to somebody telling me one day oh i just had this gin i heard it's from china i'm like yes i know the guy i've been (laughs) drinking that gin for eight years already
0: (laughs) (laughs) that'd be awesome i'd love that oscar yeah thank thank you so much for having me
1: my pleasure well let's go on to part two sure I wonder if I had actually brought some gin to this recording, whether it would have been a different level of conversation or not.
0: (laughs) I don't think alcohol is necessarily a great input into an interview that's being recorded. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: right, let's jump into the 10 questions. Um, These are the same 10 questions that I ask everyone who is on the podcast. And I will start with question one, which is from Shanghai Daily. What is your favorite China-related fact?
0: Uh, So I was fascinated when i learned that there's over a million people in china who live in caves what no yeah no yeah. today yeah heaps of people live in caves
1: really i think i heard about people living in caves and then the city grew and developed and then they rehoused them into apartment blocks in the city but even now there are still people yeah okay i'm gonna to have to do more research for both of us because <laughs> i do want to know the story now i mean i guess it's possible yeah Next question, which comes from Rosetta Stone. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese?
0: I would have to go with one of the first phrases that I learnt in Chinese, which was Mang Hao, Tai Mang Bu Hao.
1: (laughs) Mang Hao, Tai Mang Bu Hao. Yeah,
0: which means uh, being busy is good, but being too busy is not good. The longer I've spent in China, the more that applies to life in China.
1: What was the context that you learned that? Is that actually a phrase that people say?
0: Well, I certainly say it. So I guess if that includes me, then yes.
1: I mean, I hear it in the context of uh, time Mangla or Mang Silla. Like people complain that they're too busy, but I haven't heard it in that context. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, when I was taught it, I was definitely taught it as if it was like a phrase. Yeah. So like when we first learned it, like the, the teachers were like, yeah, people say this all the time. Just this assumption that you sort of like resting status should be busy.
1: Oh, I see. It's that's the like default position. Your
0: default position is busy. Yeah.
1: Where are you now on that scale? Like, presumably, there are still moments where you're taimang Yeah. Uh,
0: to be honest, the hustle is daily. Daily, yeah. But I really enjoy choosing my own work hours and like deciding where I want to focus.
1: Well, that's actually quite mature because usually in Ethereum business, there is no off and on, like, you're full on the whole time. Because of the way you work with bars, do you tend to work later evenings or do you tend to have regular working hours during the day?
0: It probably skews late, but um, it still starts pretty early. I mean, it's not just going to bars. Yes. But, I mean, I go, I go to quite, quite a lot of bars. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you
1: in a few of them too. <laughs> Next question, which comes from Naked Retreats. What's your favourite destination within China?
0: I really enjoy Chengdu. I've had some really great trips there. Uh, And like the F&B industry there is awesome. They've got like these amazing underground nightclubs, which are just in like random apartment
2: buildings.
1: (laughs) Part of that, it makes me feel that, okay, it's in a developing stage, which Shanghai may have been a few years ago. But the other part is Chengdu innately has this kind of offbeat coolness, which I think Shanghai never would have had. Right. Do you agree with that?
0: There's something about Chengdu. Yeah, they're sort of coming at life from a slightly different direction. Right.
1: Yeah. I'm wasting my time in Shanghai. If you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least?
0: Uh, I think I would miss China Speed. I really enjoy it. That feeling of progress is, you know, really tangible. And then what would you miss the least? The attitude to queuing when people get off airplanes here. (laughs) Oh, right. And it's just like stressful. It's like the flight's already been stressful. As soon as it lands, that rush to the front.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a funny connection I'm making with somebody else in the podcast. It was Abe Deo from season one. And he actually was a tour manager for indie groups he would miss the way that people disembark on planes the
0: most. Really? He's an
1: American, but he said he really appreciates the efficiency of everyone like going to every single last gap where when the doors do open, everyone is out.
0: I'd be curious <laughs> to know the like time saved by doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: it's the same as you. Like you are saying that you like the fast pace, like this is China speed. But then in this particular situation, China speed works against you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I find that there's something about that which gets me.
1: <laughs> I don't know where I actually land on this because I think I've got used to it. Maybe I'm also like I'm not pushing, but when it's my turn I'm zip, I'm
0: out. yeah, is there anything that still surprises you about life in China? Yes, the variety of dried meat snacks yeah. oh, like I was traveling last week and there was a dried meat snack which was like a deboned duck foot shrink wrapped in plastic. Yes. I was like, well, I have not seen that before. You never
1: know. Maybe it's got a very, very nice texture. <laughs> I agree. I, I can picture what you mean now because they're shrink-wrapped and you can make out exactly what the thing is. Like, <laughs> yeah. in the West, I don't know, in general, we sanitize our meat. So it's just slabs of meat and you can't tell where it came from. You yeah, can't even tell true. what animal, right? Here, you know exactly what part. You can see it blinking at you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Apart from the duck feet, what other ones do you remember? The ducks' heads, and they've always been cut in half. Oh, no.
1: Have you not seen them? I don't think I have. Yeah, they're usually at the back. This is possibly because you go to Chengdu a lot. A lot
0: of these snacks are very Sichuan, aren't they? I'm not sure, but usually I'll spot them in, like, a train station somewhere. (laughs) And all you want is, like, I don't know, a sandwich or something familiar, but instead two entire rows of meat snacks.
1: Yeah next time buy one try it take a photo and send it to me if you're trying to persuade us to drink your gin with all your fancy pants ingredients and your buddha's hand (laughs) and whatnot
0: if you make a dried meat snack company oscar uh, and i'll I'll eat the duck
1: (laughs) next question which comes from smart
0: shanghai where is your favorite place to go out to eat to drink or to hang out (laughs) uh so there are an amazing selection of places In Shanghai to go. And I was looking through what people have said previously and so as to not repeat previous answers, I would say Union Trading Company. Oh, that's a
1: great choice. Tell me about that place.
0: So that was started by a guy named Yao a while ago now, probably like seven years ago. So it's been around for a long time in Shanghai years. And it (laughs) very much feels like a neighborhood cozy bar. It's got like a long wooden top. Yes. Um, They serve great drinks.
1: Yes, it looks local, but the drinks that they serve are elevated.
0: Yeah. They recently got voted maybe number 49 best bar in the world. Wow. I mean, that's a really big deal.
1: It's unbelievable, really, because it's a very unassuming place.
0: Yeah. I think the judges, whoever they are, must take those sort of things into account. You know, it's like Mm. it's the drinks, it's the service, it's Mm. the ambience of the place. Mm. Um, And those guys deserve it. It's a great spot
1: where in your story do they fit in like when you were pounding the streets of shanghai were they early in your story
0: they definitely were yeah. oh really yeah yao was a uh, big supporter of what we were doing and you know he helped us with a bunch of events in there and you know those guys are all friends
1: oh nice it's a hard question for you because even as you say that you're ostracizing the other 99 bars that you've also got a good relationship with <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah there's a long list of shout outs there yeah uh, what is the best or worst purchase you've made in China? The the worst purchase was a sleeping bag. Okay. <laughs> and I was like buying it for some sort of like trip into Sichuan. when like last minute packing, I got something from the fake markets, a sleeping bag, and sort of like pulled it out on the first night and it was cold and we were staying at like various hostels. And after about half an hour of lying on it, it just got like quite scratchy. <laughs> and like totally disappeared into nothing so like it was like a little bit bulky and then it sort of just flattened so you're
1: like lying on just one layer of fiber basically
0: well i was curious as to actually what i was lying on because it was so scratchy and so i it cut open a segment of it and it was just floor sweepings oh my god (laughs) (laughs) oh wow it was like dust hair and toenails in there oh (laughs) See, <laughs> if you go
1: to the fake markets, you're going to get some fake... Exactly. I mean, it was definitely not an expensive sleeping <laughs> bag. You had to say toenails. Why did you say toenails? Oh,
0: <laughs> gross. All right, the next question.
1: What is your favorite WeChat
0: sticker? I think my favorite WeChat sticker is the tumbleweed. Oh, yes. So the scene is just, you know, American prairie or something, and then slowly a tumbleweed goes from right to left across the picture i think it's a good one for when people just ignore you totally yeah someone like puts out a comment into a wechat group and like no one says anything and it's just like yeah tumbleweeds
1: yes usually it's taking the piss out of someone who hasn't got a reply right yeah yeah you can use it passively aggressively if somebody hasn't replied to you
0: you can just send that (laughs) well i mean i would probably not send that in like To a client? To a client, no. (laughs) I'm not trying to be aggressive with it. Yeah,
1: it's a good one, this one. I have it, but I tell you what, I'm too scared to use it because it feels like
0: I'm trying to really guilt you into replying. (laughs) I'm not trying to throw down too much guilt with that. It's more (laughs) just like a reminder that I'm sitting here. All right, good. Next question. What is your
1: go-to song to sing at KTV?
0: Uh, That would be Stan by
1: Eminem. Right, okay. Why? What's the story?
0: I don't know, I just... Know that song quite well. It's not like I'm a really big Eminem fan either, but... That's not the one with Dido, is it? It is the one with Dido. It's that one! Yeah, so it works quite well as a duet. Okay. Do you sing the girls' part too? No, usually I'll recruit someone to sing the girls' part, and then just crush the rap. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, that's the whole point of KTV, right? Is, like, a bit of a performance.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) All right. And finally,
1: and this comes from JustPod, which is the company that provides a studio, which we're not in today as anyone listening can probably guess <laughs> what or who is your biggest source of inspiration in china
0: you know i got to say that it is the entrepreneur community in shanghai mm. and across china i think that that was a really important part of allowing us as a company to go from you know zero to wherever we are now and just yeah the amount of support that was just out there and goodwill Just people buying into what you're doing and being, you know, excited and happy and not dismissive of what you're trying to do. And like when what you're doing is like hand carrying gin around different bars, Mm. you know, you can feel as if you're just, what am I doing? What the hell? Yeah, Yeah, I think that probably comes up a lot with entrepreneurs and Shanghai was a really positive place to be for it.
1: Yeah. And these are people who you can get advice from just by giving them a bit of gin now and again. (laughs) yeah
0: just like take him for like three or four martinis and awesome
1: well thank you so much for that fergus it's good to have your story it's good to have you as a kiwi but someone who is passionate about building a chinese brand and now not just a chinese brand in china but one that you are starting to sell overseas i hope you continue to experiment with these different flavors and i look forward to tasting the next iteration
0: of peddler's Yeah, well, thank you very much, Oscar. I appreciate that goodwill, and I hope so too.
1: Before you go, let me ask you one final thing, which is out of everyone you know in China, who would you recommend that I interview for the next season of Mosaic of China?
0: So there's a guy I'm friends with called Graham Kennedy. Uh, He's a photographer. He takes amazing photographs and videos sort of all over China. Um, He used to be a war journalist, so he's got a really interesting story. Uh, and he does some of the coolest trips in China uh, that make me so jealous. He goes to some amazing places. So I think he'd have a really interesting perspective on sort of his time here.
1: Oh, very cool. Has he accompanied you to some of your trips when you're visiting your suppliers in rural Sichuan?
0: He has, yes. Yeah, yeah, he's been He's been along for the ride.
1: Oh, nice. I look forward to having that chat with Graham. If there was one question that you would ask
0: Graham on the podcast, what question would you ask him? <laughs> It'd probably be, what was his most uncomfortable photo shoot. Oh, that's a great one. (laughs) Hopefully it wasn't on your trip, was it? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much again, Fergus. You're welcome, Oscar. Thank you for having me.
1: First things first, I tried to research the exact number of people in China who still live in caves. Actually, some websites were saying that over 30 million people live in caves. Uh, but then I noticed that the articles were written over 10 years ago, so who knows what has changed since then. If anyone out there has any up-to-date information, then please get in touch, I want to know for sure. Yes, I just said for show, which is the Chinese name for the crazy fruit Buddha's hand. To see photos of that, as well as Fergus's object, his favourite WeChat sticker and loads more goodies, As always, please find me on Instagram at oscology, and everywhere else by searching for Mosaic of China. If you're in one of the WeChat listeners groups, there's a bonus image for you, which is a QR code that you can use to get 20% off your next order of Peddler's Gin, courtesy of Fergus. I'm excited to talk about the connections to previous episodes. Yes, all this talk of Sichuan Peppers links us back to the favourite China fact of the street food expert Jamie Barris from Season 2, Episode 2, so please go back there to listen out for that. Yes, there's a connection with sleeping bags back to the clean energy entrepreneur Alex Schoer from Season 2, Episode 11. But the most fun connection concerns the part of today's episode when Fergus was speculating about the judges who named Union Trading Company one of the world's 50 top bars. Well, we had the judge on the podcast last season, so go back to the episode with Crystal Mo from Season 2, Episode 26, and Crystal is the China Academy Chair at the world's 50 best. Before we come to the catch up interview, as always, there is of course an extra 10 to 15 minutes from my conversation with Fergus in the premium version of the show. Head to the Mosaic of China website to follow the instructions on how to subscribe. Here are a few clips. After a few gins, you're a bit louder, are
0: you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it depends who you ask. What sort of yeast you're using makes quite a big difference to what the final taste is. Right. It was so stressful. I think I lost several years of my life at the airport.
1: Well, which grains did you use? <laughs> is that a trade secret?
0: No, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, we use Okay. Is it base spirit. One particularly salty old Frenchman finished it with, your business is going to fail because nobody will ever buy Chinese alcohol. Even what time of year you source the ingredients, it makes a really, really big difference to the flavor.
1: It's not a cool word.
0: It's definitely not cool, but you'd be happily uncool. Believe me, I appreciate the uncoolness.
1: (laughs) Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, with artwork by Denny Newell. You heard his voice earlier on in today's episode. Sean Harmon is coming up for a quick catch-up chat, since he was the one who nominated Fergus from last season. And I'll see you again next time.
2: There he is. Hello Sean. Hey Oscar. (laughs) Great to see you. Likewise. How have you been? It's been a long time.
1: It has been a long time and we are talking remotely which is one of the biggest updates since we last talked on mic at least 18 months ago. So where are you right now?
2: I am in Hong Kong. Quite a life change. I was nine and a half years based in Shanghai it was a great run. I love Shanghai. I mean, I was supposed to be going back and forth, Hong Kong to Shanghai, you know, every other week sort of thing. But obviously, COVID kind of got in the way of that. So I, my, my wife relocated first. She moved in January of last year. And then last year, I was kind of living between two cities. I did five weeks of quarantine in total last year, going back and forth. But since then, in January, we actually had a baby. So I haven't been up to the mainland Uh, Since the baby was born, we obviously had our hands full. And and plus, as you know, Shanghai has been going through a bit of a rough time lately as well.
1: Well, I should preface this by saying exactly what you do for those people who didn't hear our original episode. You're the general manager for Greater China of Duvel Mortgat, the beer brand from Belgium. And I think Vedette is the brand most of us would know in Shanghai, at least. Um, I'll tell you what I do still have, and it's right in front of me now. It is your object that you brought, which was the bottle of Vedette with my
2: face on it. <laughs> no, fun. That's actually not a great thing. By now it should be an empty bottle, but you know I'll give you a pass. <laughs> well,
1: you gave me six bottles and five are empty. So Okay, there we yeah. go. It feeds my ego and, you know, what more do you need? <laughs> <laughs> Despite moving to Hong Kong, your role actually hasn't changed. So tell me about that.
2: Um, I mean, I think that, not being able to just hop over when needed is a bit frustrating, <laughs> to be honest with you, because you know sometimes some th- there's an event or there's uh, you know a client meeting where you want to be able to hop on a plane and go. And right now it's what, seven plus three, so a 10 day time period. But for a long time, it was you know, 14 or 21 days to enter. So that, that's been frustrating. But, uh, but once the border is open, I, I believe from an efficiency perspective, it'll be easy as long as the border is open.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll have a meeting with you. Could you do it 22 days from now, please? Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, now that you are in Hong Kong, it makes me think about the question I asked you about life on mainland China, which was about what you would miss the most or miss the least if you left the Chinese mainland. So what you did say was that you would miss the energy and what you said that you wouldn't miss was the pollution. So now that you've been out for over a year, what is it that you missed the most and missed the least?
2: That's a good question. I mean, the energy, I think I still get it. I'm still talking to people in China every day. I'm still very much in a metropolis. It's still, you know, an Asian mega city. I, I, I think when I said pollution, it was also about noise pollution. Correct, I correct. I don't even think that's it anymore. I would say the access to nature I grew up near Miami. So, I mean, you know, Fort Lauderdale, you have a beach right there. You're, you're living with a balance of, you know, outdoor life. And in Hong Kong, you very much have this balance. Hiking or trail running or beaches. I mean, you do have a better balance with nature. Where in Shanghai, that's a little bit tough to get out of the city.
1: Yes, absolutely. You had to go to the likes of Shan to actually be yeah. in nature. It's like a two-hour train ride. You're absolutely yeah. right. That's the one thing that was the biggest struggle when I left Hong Kong to come here. Well, thank you so much for this catch up. And uh, I look forward to hopefully seeing you in person, either in Hong Kong or Shanghai or God knows where. (laughs) See you, man.
2: Fingers crossed. Take care.